Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard the TV Pilot's License Flight Number 41 with service to Manhattan. We ask that you please fasten your headphones at this time, secure your podcasting device, and remember, if you need to have sex tonight, make sure to tell your flight attendant, and they will happily give you directions to chaos. Welcome to TV Pilot's License. My name is Jeff Kerbis, joined by Max Singer and Rich Inman. How are you boys doing tonight? What secret yeah. airport do you know in Manhattan? Yeah, the, the, the af- after Sully Sullenberger, the, after Sully Sullenberger, they don't, oh you, they don't let you land in Manhattan no. anymore. No. Oh my god. Well, oh Jesus Christ. Uh, well, boys, I'm super excited to be talking about sex in the city, but gentlemen, um, unfortunately, I have some news. None of us are located in the quote-unquote city. Uh, so we need to bring in our special New York correspondent. Uh, yeah. What does this returning guest pilot not do? She is a comedian, content creator, and fashion icon. It is also rumored that she has even been rubbing elbows with the next Donald Trump of New York, except hotter, <laughs> younger, and thank God, not Donald Trump. Please welcome Rosie Blair to the podcast. Yeah. Rosie. Champion. Oh, Hi. with Martini in hand. Hi, Did boys. you make a Cosmo? This is a Dr. Pepper in a fancy glass. <laughs> <laughs> just, I had to do it. Well, Rosie, oh. thank you so much for joining us. It only felt appropriate, you know, we talked about girls, which almost felt like our generation sex in the city, to bring you back and talk about really the original as a whole. Um, you know, yeah. I'm curious before we hear about what this podcast is about, what is your prior relationship to sex in the city? Oh my God. I, I'll try not to monologue too much, but I was talking to a friend about this and it's hard to be a woman in my particular age group without it severely impacting our DNA, like from childhood forward, because I specifically remember watching the pilot I was 10 years old and on a trip to New York City with my grandmother. And this woman, she's a character. She uh, passed away when she was nearing 100 uh, about a decade ago. So she's definitely of a different generation. And this woman let me wander around the city by myself, like as a child. But also she'd conk out around eight. And then I'd have full television access, full cable television access in our hotel. And I just remember... I couldn't get enough of this. Like enough of the first season had been out that I got to devour a few episodes like nightly. They were running like reruns of it, but it, it impacted me then in high school. I purchased the DVDs from Blockbuster, like the, the resale of the DVDs and my very religious mother. I remember her like cracking them and like throwing them in the trash when she discovered that I had them. Yeah. So I feel like, most millennial women like it's we've had this sort of like it was our idea of what womanhood would be once we got there i think seeing this show and i think i'm no different so yeah that is that's a wild story first of all but like (laughs) i i think it does such a good job of encapsulating that this gigantic piece of media has somehow hit your life in a way that like you know, we didn't even talk about it. We were just sort of like, Rosie, do you want to do sex in the city? And you were like, yeah, yeah. like, let's yeah. go right now. <laughs> what, what I know, Rosie's, I just gave you so much. What Rosie's story reminds me of, though, is it's a, a thing that today's generations won't appreciate, which is the 
discovery of HBO when your parent, <laughs> grandparent, guardian went to sleep. Now you that. just like turn on like an app on your TV. You could watch it on your phone or your tablet, but there was something about finding the HBO channel in the guide and watching this like made for adults style yeah. TV. Mm-hmm. I feel like HBO shows are a little more ubiquitous and like across generations now, uh, you know, things like Game of Thrones, like everyone just watches them regardless. And like Sex in the City was this mysterious show that I remember being, you know, uh, like a preteen and a teen during its run and just like hearing about it, like knowing that it had this like adult content, but not knowing what it means and it being this version of New York that I as like a young Jewish boy in the suburbs of Connecticut could only dream of being with one day. (laughs) Max, we we weren't ready well, for shaky cam back then. <laughs> yeah. Well, for those who don't know, um, the reason that we're doing this episode this week is it is the 25th anniversary of Sex in the City, which is absolutely wild. So those of you who joined us for the celebration, uh, thanks for coming. Uh, and if you're new to the podcast, Max, why don't you tell them a little bit about what we're all about? Here at TV Pilots License, we break down and analyze the pilot episodes of some of TV's most famous, or in some cases, infamous shows, like the last one that this showrunner did. Uh, We talk about how they came to be and if they're effective pilots and make us want to watch more. Uh, If you want to go back and check out our episodes, we are wherever you get your podcasts from. So go listen, like, and subscribe. Check us out on YouTube to see the incredible glassware that Rosie is drinking a Dr. Pepper out of. Uh, And if it is your first time flying with us, then welcome board today. And Rich, what is your question of the week? So uh, prior to recording, I sent all of you a link uh, to a Sex in the City character quiz, a BuzzFeed staple, really built an entire media conglomerate off of Sex in the City type quizzes. Uh, and I wanted to know, uh, what character did you get? And do you think it is correct? No, I don't think it's correct. But I, I do. I, I in college, a friend of mine said, we all think we're the other ones, but we're all Miranda. And that's, I got Miranda. <laughs> I think I think I'm just like, I, I do simply think that it's because I'm like married and not currently dating and like, don't have like any room for bullshit in my life. And um, I guess I'm like pragmatic. And it also is, hmm. I mean, your show focuses on pilots, so I think that the the portrayal of these characters in the pilot is a touch different than the over the overarching arc of how they later go on to to be known. Um, yeah, I guess I'm pretty direct, like Miranda. I'm neurotic. Uh, hmm. I don't deal with a lot of things, but she's a little bit of a softy at the end of the day. So I guess, and I do, I feel like I did marry like a Steve sort of guy. So that's that that aligns with stuff. Max, I'm genuinely curious. What did you get? Uh, So I reached out to the very legitimate website, uh, brainfall.com. And I learned that I am a carry. And from that, I'm not afraid of, uh, I know what I want out of a relationship, and I'm not afraid to keep moving until I get it. Wit and charm are my biggest turn-ons. And I like guys who appreciate you for your mind as much as your body. I have fun playing the dating game, but secretly, I just can't wait to find the guy who sweeps me off my feet and carries me into the sunset. So I'll go after Max. 
I also got carried. You failed to mention not the result you wanted. See other results. I was so upset that I got carried that I then went and found a BuzzFeed quiz <laughs> to see if I am still carried. And then, guess what? I got Carrie. You probably think you're a Samantha or a Charlotte, but you're actually Carrie, a total Carrie. So <laughs> my, buzz, to my BuzzFeed result told me I'm a Samantha. Oh, but my wow. brain fall result told me I'm a Carrie. What does that mean? What is my Carrie moon like, Samantha rising? What am I? Uh, yeah, I was just about to say, that's like, we're both Scorpios, but we're actually Carrie moon risings. It's all good. <laughs> it's, it's the Gryffindor of Sex in the City. <laughs> Rich, I'm curious, what is your uh what is your Sex in the City character? Uh I am also a Miranda. That is uh I, I definitely think <laughs> oh, <okay>. that is... <laughs> I definitely think that suits me a little bit. I I'm a little bit boring. Uh I, I, I can I can fall in love and uh and not make a big deal about it. I'll I'll be an independent person, but uh yeah, I think they nailed it. I, if I if I had to if I had to go with anyone, I'm just glad I'm not a carry because that the three in one podcast is like too much. That's like crazy. We would have to rename the podcast to the three carries. <laughs> three this carries. feels so appropriate though that no one got Charlotte because that is the character who I forget about the most in Sex in the City. Like for the longest time, I couldn't remember who the fourth person was, and it's Charlotte. <laughs> oh my god! Well. Rich, thank you for that question of the week. Before we dive in too much to Sex in the City, let's talk a little bit about a synopsis. Four female New Yorkers gossip about their lives, or lack thereof, and find new ways to deal with being a woman in the late 1990s. That's a pretty great description and appealing as a whole, but Max, how did this show get made? So as I teased earlier, we are talking about a returning showrunner today, and that is Darren Starr. Uh, we happen to talk about this writer on his most prolific show. If you go back and listen to our episode on Kitchen Confidential, oh the one-season <laughs> flop on Fox starring Bradley Cooper as definitely not Anthony Bourdain. <laughs> Uh, so today we are talking about the pilot episode of Sex in the City, titled Sex in the City, which aired on HBO on June 6, 1998. Happy 25th anniversary. And just to kind of recap Star again, he comes to prominence creating the teen drama Beverly Hills 90210 for Fox, which premiered in 1990, becomes a smash hit and flagship show for the Young Network. Two years later, he creates the spinoff Melrose Place, and he ends up kind of pivoting from L.A. to New York to work on a slightly less successful show uh, that was called Central Park West. And it's while working on this show that he gets interviewed for Vogue by a writer named Candace Bushnell. And we're going to flip it over to her now. So Bushnell is a writer and journalist who, in 1994, starts writing a column for the New York Observer titled Sex in the City, uh, this sort of guide to dating and life and just like being an adult single trying to find love in New York. The column becomes a hit. And in 1996, these columns are actually published into a book, which Darren Starr then purchases the rights to for $50,000, which when you think back on it, uh, I think Darren Starr made off like a bandit there. Pretty sweet deal. So Starr initially pitches this show to ABC which would have been a very, very different show before bringing it to HBO where the cable platform would hopefully be a better fit 
for the content, uh, a show that could be more direct on sex talk and not just trading euphemisms the way that shows the time did. Uh, Stars actually described the pilot's comedy styling as being the same things as Seinfeld, but dialed up, which is a thing that I'm glad I read after I watched the pilot and not before. Yeah. then HBO chief Chris Albrecht is intrigued by the fact that there's nothing else like this on TV at the time and is really impressed with Star's belief in the concept and gives the show a green light. This pilot is actually directed by someone pretty prominent as well, a uh, director by the name of Susan Seidelman, who is a 80s indie directing legend. Uh, she directed the film Smithereens, which was the first American indie ever to be selected for screening and competition at Cannes, as well as classic comedies of the decade, including Desperately Seeking Susan. Uh, Making Mr. Right, She-Devil, and Cookie. And that takes us to a jazzy little intro, I believe. So, Max, I will, I have to say, when you said uh, a pretty notable director, I was about to be like, if Jimmy Burroughs did this goddamn (laughs) show, I'm going to lose my damn mind. He's following me everywhere. Friends and Sex in the City back to back. That would be wild. Um... (laughs) Well, thank you, Max, for that bit of a rundown. Let's dive in. Um, This show starts off with just a jazz intro. And I have to think HBO said, we have $10. Let's make an intro to a HBO show with just as much B-roll footage as we have and throw yep. Sarah Jessica Parker just in the middle of Manhattan it and don't tell her there's a camera. It is 60 seconds of Sarah Jessica Parker just looking at things. <laughs> <laughs> Look, New York is a visual environment, baby. So I think it's so intriguing because they have this, you know, very iconic mu- music as a whole that is just there. And to seem like this show we're talking about, we're talking about a show that's 25 years old and so iconic. But then you look at this intro and you're sort of like, this is it. Like this is, this is this big show. Well, I know you're, I know you're saying that you're docking it, Jeff, but we meet two of our main characters right away. We meet oh, Carrie. Shut the fuck up. And Max. we meet the city. <laughs> <laughs> because we all know that the city is the fifth main character of the show. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but as, oh my god! Um, as soon as this ends, though, and after we get this B-roll montage, um, we go into the beginning of the show as almost what seems to be an exposition dump, but really is just Carrie's character telling the story of a character that, spoiler alert, if you watch past the pilot, we never see again or hear about ever again uh, in the history of this show. But I think it does such a good idea of giving us this dump to set the tone of this is life for a single woman in New York. And this is the story that we will be telling uh, just through four different women in this instance as a whole. What what did you guys think about this? <laughs> I read the book in high school and a lot of it is um, actually interviews with Bushnell and New Yorkers, her friends. And then it's, it has this like same setup as the show. And I think that this pilot is very faithful to the tone of the book. And it just seemed like it has, 
it's like an advice book more than it is. It doesn't, it's not like a, a fictionalization like this television show is. It's just like New Yorkers talking about their sex lives. And there's lots of like, uh, kind of like, oh, I once heard of this woman and this happened. And so it's sort of this like third party, uh, reiterating a story that happened to someone else. And I think that this is like such a like one to one of what the book is like. And this whole pilot feels like it's just, you know, gossip heard around like the, the social sphere of these New York women of like, this is what happens. This, it's like a little fable that's setting everything up. You get to hear a little bit of what women at this particular point or the women that they actually interview for this book, for the, for the show um, actually value in men at this particular point. Like the first thing you learn about the guy that Elizabeth is, is dating is like really powerful uh you know investment broker uh makes two million a year they met at an art show um they immediately like go to a driving range the one that's like at chelsea pier or whatever and uh and you know it's that as the prominent part then the sex is good then they're looking at houses everything happens in like an extremely like quick amount of time and i don't know i think it just sets I, I think it kind of counteracts like what um, Samantha says immediately following this and that uh, they're like, there's so many, this is the first time that women have had as much power and money in New York. And that's why they're going to start sleeping with people like in the way that a man would classically do. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's just, I think it was interesting to see what people want to gossip about. It's very like New York or I'm sorry, like, uh, New York Times wedding section kind of thing. It's just very like, mm. oh, we're we're only going to get written up if we make an ass load of money, if our parents are famous, if we live in the Hamptons, et cetera. And that is, that's what I think is like very fascinating because it kind of definitely contradicts a lot of like the power movement of that. So Rosie, one question that I have for you is the first, this episode of Sex in the City and the first half of the first season is a little bit different than the rest of the show. In that we break the fourth wall a lot in this episode. And it's Wait, almost, that stops? Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wait, what? So really? I, I guess for, yeah. So like one of the things that I'm curious for you going back to this pilot, having like this relationship with this show, what were your thoughts as far as like, oh shit, I forgot about this. Like, <laughs> Sarah Jessica Parker is going to stare me directly in the eye and tell me that Cupid uh, has left the co-op. Like, what is your what is your thought process when rewatching this? There's so much different about the pilot than the rest of the than the rest of the show. The pilot has this like, you know, you mentioned shaky cam earlier, like they wanted this realistic kind of gritty portrayal of what it's like to be a single woman in New York and that it's tough. But then even as insofar as like the, the second episode, it's like, no, scrap that. We want it to feel like a fantasy and we want it to be an escape for people and to eat her apartment changes between the pilot and the second episode. Cause I had to watch the next one because she has, she has an unrealistic, beautiful West village apartment normally. And in this pilot, she has, she's in a studio and it's yeah. messy and it's, she's even a brunette in, in this pilot. And so like her breaking the fourth wall, it feels so New York theater, especially from the time period. It feels so edgy. Like she'll, she's having a conversation with a man and like 
she just turns to the camera mid conversation and says something <laughs> like cynical. And it just, it isn't the Carrie that we know. I, I yeah. actually read a, a really interesting article about this. And this woman was like, where's the rest of the series for the Carrie and the pilot? Cause I want to watch that show. Um, yeah. Apparently Sarah Jessica Parker had issues and, uh, I had to have a big conversation. Like if she was going to agree to do the rest of the series, it had to be kind of more her flavor. And so a lot of SJP is injected into what Carrie eventually becomes. At the end of the day, she's a journalist and I'm so sorry, but a massive apartment or a massive condo or whatever in Chelsea or wherever the hell she lives is wildly unrealistic. Like this is so, I also want to keep with the Sarah Jessica Parker. I want to keep with the Sarah, the Carrie of this pilot because I don't want to see like, I don't know, people who have it all just like trying, complaining about stuff. I don't know. It just like seems a little disingenuous. All right. Well, I, I only want to talk about the carry of this palette because I was very excited <laughs> yeah. about this carry. And what, what I love in this entire intro sequence though, is the different, ways of like storytelling that we use i think it's so clever to begin with this kind of vignette that i think as you said jeff it sets up the broader concept of what we're talking about the like world in which we're living in without like exposition dumping down your throat of like and here's every character right off the bat you better keep up uh something that i think is so clever and that i loved is when carrie addresses the audience dead on after saying welcome to the age of uninnocence and she asks how the hell do we get into this mess she grabs a newspaper from like the the guy on the street opens it up and the a1 on the newspaper says why no one knows and i love that it's like <laughs> the, like the newspaper is like a, a fourth wall meta prop in this too uh rosie you mentioned the theatricality of it i mean it's sarah jessica parker in the 90s this is a someone who's been working in Broadway for like close to 20 years at this point. I mean, the girl played Annie. She was Annie. <laughs> like yeah. uh, she, she has theater in her bones. And I think that this is like, it's performative when it's to us. And then it's reeled back for TV when it's like normal world. And I loved seeing both of those sides interchange throughout this pilot. It made it a really fun watch for me. I, I I won't lie. I would I would be fully like in if uh, Carrie Bradshaw was like we had a lot of characters in the old neighborhood. Like after she said, <laughs> her, you know, yeah. What's the like, Carrie Bradshaw equivalent to tossing a football up and down? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but Carrie isn't the only one who talks directly to camera. Um, we with these vignettes, we start to meet the other singles of new york to describe what they have what they're looking for um i would be remiss as a certified personal trainer if i did not talk about peter mason the toxic bachelor who is just repping those rows with no weight on the bar looking like a goddamn <laughs> animal with his nipple falling out uh, in the tank top like this was i i love this scene of just seeing the perspective of men who we can assume are like 35 ish, like around many of the folks on this podcast age. Um, but also then getting the strict contrast of like, I love the intro of Miranda and being able to say like, this is what women deserve, but it's not fucking out there. Like, and then we get this back and forth and we get the Charlotte of like, 
I'm happy no one here got, if we were just talking about the pilot of getting these characters, of getting a Charlotte, right? Because Charlotte is just sort of like, oh, yeah, I'll play the game. Like, I'll I'll just, like, sort of suck. You, you know what this really reminded me of? And I, I'm curious if anyone else got this vibe from it, too. It felt like the 90s in-your-face version of the how we met stories from when Harry met Sally. Yes, I have that note in my. Uh, I have, oh, I'm yeah. so glad you said that. I literally have that. Yeah, Harry that, met that, Sally. That came out in that came out in '89, and wow. it sort of felt like when Harry met Sally is this now like we're not telling that story. We're not telling this '80s Nora Ephron like picture perfect meet cute. What we're telling you is going to be like it's in your face. It's going to be rude and crude and have tood, but it's like it's still something that feels very familiar to an audience watching you know it's something also very familiar celebrating a birthday with a bunch of drag queens bringing you a cake and you know what that's it the, is that's real new york baby this. real new york drag queens. Happy, <laughs> happy pride y'all um with birthday uh birthday cake with drag queens and I really loved this scene because I think that this was our first instance of getting a different representation of real women in their 30s and real conversations that women in their 30s are having. What is this restaurant they're in, though? It's like there's drag queens, but it's also like a Chinese restaurant. I, I'm very confused what this place is. I would love to have dinner there. Yeah, I, I was, <laughs> are you complaining? Like, I, I want to make no, reservations no, no. for I wa- tomorrow. No, I want to know what this restaurant is, is what I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> Someone dropped the Yelp. Rosie, I, I guess, you know, as you're talking to three dudes, um, I would love for your perspective on this first scene of just like friends celebrating a birthday, but having some real conversations about maybe the hardships of relationships as single women. I have to like a line that like stands out in, in this scene is I think she says something like we all didn't really want to be here. This could have been like a conference call or something like that. And which is so against the grain of like the, the true heart and soul of the show is that these women just go out to eat and go out for drinks and like really nourish each other. And it's so funny because I think that this, this first impact like this is the show so this is such a pivotal moment for us to see in the pilot because of like what it ends up being and they're all in black which i i think they're trying to hit this like new yorker woman thing i feel like they're not yet the caricatured versions of themselves like to Mm -hmm. me like charlotte is not charlotte yet she's not this like butterfly seeking a husband prince charming kind of (laughs) character um they're all kind they're all cynical not even uh samantha is not the samantha that i have come to know so it was really just fascinating seeing the beginning stages of of creating these characters and in this scene like i think a birthday is the perfect catalyst to this conversation because you know uh, certainly at this time uh, so much uh, value is placed on women in their reproductive years. So all these women are suddenly reminded, like, I don't I don't know if I saw a number on the cake, but I'm sure that suddenly everyone's super aware of like, oh, I have only so many years left. Uh, when they're interviewing the men, this guy was saying, like, I don't want to date women my own age because then I have to get them pregnant yeah, in the clock. first couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that, like, it's a pivotal moment for this show, which is about single women and... I assume that they're turning 35. That has to be 
the age that I think would catalyze all of this. So it's really interesting that you bring that up about the age, because I was curious of how old was everyone when this pilot was filmed sort of thing. And um, specifically, Sarah Jessica Parker, when this pilot was filmed, was 33 years old. Um, As in addition, um, so was, geez, I forget the actress's name. The character of Charlotte was uh, also uh, 33 years old. Kim Cattrall was the oldest person of these four women uh, who was 41 years old when she filmed this pilot. We're all she... doing Kristen Davis dirty, dirty here. We're all just forgetting about Charlotte. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like uh, she's, she's, um, she's hidden behind the curtain, like the city of New York. Uh, and, and the, what they should have done is do a reverse Dawson's Creek where, uh, where all the actresses are actually 18 and they're playing 35 year olds. <laughs> and like it, the surprising thing is Cynthia Nixon is also the youngest person uh of the main character. She was only 32 years old. Wow. Um a, as far as amongst the group. So it's just it's very very interesting. Um but we move forward because one of the things that I found so interesting was the conversation amongst women. We have this overall narration by the Carrie character but then we meet uh, Carrie's other friend, Stanford, um, who's just this neurotic agent um, who I absolutely fell in love with this. But also you see the gigantic contrast in the type of conversation they're having, right? When amongst her three best friends, Carrie is having these conversations about what is love as a woman. And then Stanford has this line that I absolutely said uh, I absolutely love, and it was, it's straight love that's toxic. Gay love is just great, and I was just like, hell yeah! Like once again, happy Pride, y'all. But in the the other instance of that, it's just so intriguing, and to see that we have these different perspectives on life from two very different people who happen to be friends at the same time. Something that I started to really appreciate by the time we got to the Carrie and Stanford like lunch scene is that HBO kind of liberated the 30-minute sitcom in that it didn't have to just be on this studio hangar where it's only however many like flat sets we could build because they could just shoot on location and it creates, you know, I think Rosie, you said how it's like the like the meal and drinks being so important to the show. Well, now we could go everywhere and we could go to the places that they go to and we can live like they do. And I think there's something about like all of them meeting in like the idea of these third spaces, like spots that aren't their homes or their works where they can gather and commune and they're not restricted by, I will say it again, we'll say friends. Like there's only so many places that they can hang out or in Seinfeld, there's only so many places they can hang out because there's only sets on the lot they can go to here. They can go anywhere in the city and it opens up like what the half hour sitcom is. And like, you're seeing that happen in real time in this pilot. It's like, it's evolutionary in the way we shoot 30 minute comedy. One of the things that Carrie is narrating to herself is she sees this on and off again, man, um, and decides to start an experiment or a self-proclaimed experiment by, you know, deciding I'm going to go and sleep with this guy. Uh, but I'm only going to get mine, not going to let him get his. And then this beautiful line of, so this is what it's like having, uh, 
having sex as a man just happens. And you can't help but giggle at the idea of the selfishness and the ideas of what sex was like, you know, and how that's evolved in recent years. But it was just such a like, oh, I see the I see colors now uh, sort of moment. And I absolutely fell in love with it as a whole. This is really like a revolutionary thing in 1998. It is like, you know, at, we're well past like the women's liberation movement and like understanding like, you know, uh, you know, just sex more, I guess that would be the simplest way to put it. Um, but I really do think like her actually going and experimenting with this is like something that you maybe, maybe it was glossed over a bit in a show like Seinfeld because they had Elaine really be like kind of almost a carry in the sense. Um, but I think, you know, I think it was like kind of, uh, just like more of a groundbreaking thing at this particular moment, especially, you know, all of the people that they interview in the first in the first couple of minutes of this would have an extremely archaic view of dating if it was compared to 2023. After this uh, sexual liaison, we meet one of our most important characters in probably in this episode seems sort of like a throwaway, right? Seems like maybe this person will be around. But if you're listening to this and you're a fan of Sex in the City, there's nothing quite like Mr. Big. The City. Oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. No, yeah. Mr. Big, you're yeah. right. Mr. And Big Apple. I... <laughs> and I really did love this introduction of a character who seems so mysterious, who seems like, oh, just a guy that Carrie accidentally ran into, who, you know, handed her, handed her, handed her her uh, condoms with the reservoir tip at the end. Uh, which is just like what a line! Uh, like this, I had to pause when I heard that. I was like, "What does that mean?" Like for bigger loads, <laughs> like I, I just don't know like why that was like a necessary like detail to add on to the description of this condom. Like, don't all condoms need to possess? It some? was like <laughs> it was like buying office supplies. It was like the with the level of specificity that she like uh, totally unnecessary. Yeah. Rosie, I have to ask, what other condom feature would you have preferred that she said other than reservoir tips with big loads? It just feels redundant because um, <laughs> I would assume that all condoms have space for that material. And um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe just like something. Did she say anything for her pleasure? Because I just feel like that's more. Oh, see, that would be so much better. This is where the podcast gets really gross and graphic. So let's go. I've I've got some gross (laughs) anecdotes to bring into this. So please. What would be the What would be the additional feature that you would add on to a condom, Jeff? Is it a fidget spinner? (laughs) (laughs) Glow in the dark monitor. Laser pointer. <laughs> it's like it's like an aura ring for your dick. I love that. What? Comment below. What? Uh, oh God. You know this is probably a real comment below this real. What additional features you think condoms should have? With that being said, though, and after this introduction to this mysterious, tall, dark, and handsome man. Um, we get to meet someone who's a little less put together uh, in Skipper Johnston, who just seems like a website designer. Did anyone else notice the website that was in the background? 
Yeah, Mm-mm. Mad TV. He was designing. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Mad he was Magazine. designing Mad TV's website. Or, or yeah, oh, yeah, which is hysterical. But it's super interesting to get the idea of we have these rich elite assholes who are running New York as if it is their very own playground, and then we have just this nice guy named Skipper, or as Miranda calls him, Skippy, <laughs> who like is. Like let very throw, much a let me throw something guy. In there. Like, and I don't know how else to describe him. Let, let me He's let me throw something male. in here. Uh, <laughs> Sk- Skipper is an incel. The Skipper was the first incel of the late night. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. You want to see the other tabs on your computer, Skipper? Second of all, second of Go all, and most bitch. importantly, what are these fucking names that they're putting in this? <laughs> who who is going out with Capote Duncan and Skipper Johnston? Why <laughs> why are these names? Why are these names being used in this pilot? It feels like unknown male should have been put there instead, and then just like throw in a name afterwards. It was like they spun a wheel of you shitty know, names. They kind of have that old money ring to it. Like Capote <laughs> Duncan sounds like. Like that's you know anyone that has like a like a multiple first name that sounds like three last names I'm like oh your parents must own <laughs> yeah. ketchup or something like that you know they all sound like fake names that you use to conceal someone's identity when you're writing a sex column oh my god <laughs> wow and that actually might, in all well, honesty yeah I, that might be the case for all we know Max and I read the book yeah yeah. That, Max, you did it, but congratulations, like a, a round of applause. Um, so, Carrie. And just like that. Oh, <laughs> God damn it. Oh, wait. We'll oh, wait. talk about so, that later. So, since we're on uh, just like that, I have to ask, Rosie, is the reason you put your Peloton behind you is in, in, in just like that reference? <laughs> I, I love that you brought that up because I was, I was like, oh, it's so perfect. No, it's just in here until we... <laughs> So we sell it on Facebook Marketplace. You know what this room needs is a Peloton. Um, so, um, Carrie decides to be, I think the really great thing about Carrie and the Carrie character, at least in this pilot, is we very much just use Carrie as a vessel to tell the stories of a lot of other people and use her as a true narrator. In this case, hey, Skipper, you're going to go on a date with Miranda if I didn't exist, that would not be a possibility in this episode. Yeah, she's our spoke to everything. It's so clear that she's our protagonist, which I like how like evident that is in every scene. And then we also find out because of Carrie, hey, Charlotte is going on a date with the weirdly named Capote Duncan uh, because he has this ridiculous piece of art in his apartment that she wants to see. Um, it's so, okay, cool. Let's talk about why everyone's here, which is chaos. Uh, chaos is a nightmare <laughs> that I have, like, that the idea of going to a club at the age of 32 right now is the most horrifying concept in my mind. I you was... call it a nightmare. I'm watching the scene like, oh, my God, it's so well lit. There's so many places to sit down. Where can I go? <laughs> Oh I know. God. Yeah, Jeff, I just I went to a, a club party literally on Friday night and it was not nearly as cool as that. People are smoking cigars. People are hanging out like this is not a club that I would have access to by any means. And I, I think that this like scene is super interesting in one. 
we see very many different stories happening all at once. We see Skippy and Miranda's date. You know what I think is just so hilarious about, before we like get into the details of it, what's just hilarious about this entire Club Chaos scene is that somehow every single character that we've met in this episode ends up at this building. Like, this is like the place to be. It's... It, it's such a like TV trope where it's like everyone somehow ends up at the same spot and all the stories intertwine. But it's like over the course of this, we bump back into Kurt, the guy that Carrie had the daytime stand with. We're going to see Mr. Big again. The spoiler alert, the date that Charlotte goes on with Capote Duncan, uh, he decides to be a schmuck when she won't stay the night and like, steals her cab and when he even says the cross street she knows immediately you're going to chaos like chaos <laughs> is the center of the new york universe again guys i just want to go who can get me in seriously just some somebody like does anybody know a bartender i just want to go to club chaos it is really like this entire the concept of this is just so interesting because if we go into the idea of like Carrie as a narrator is just bringing all these stories to one place rather than having to explain a bunch of different bars where all of these stories took place. That's a little bit more reasonable. I love the idea that in this gigantic city, there is only one club that is worth a damn that <laughs> a guy who has just gone to the opera gotten turned down by Charlotte is so horned up that he's like, Scoot over. We're going to chaos. I yeah, need to I'm so go horny. I gotta fucked. go to chaos. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it reminds me of the I think you should leave scene where he's just beeping the horn in the car and he's like, I'm so horny. <laughs> like, oh, I thought you were going to say the one from season three where he's just got to go to Club Haunted House. <laughs> yeah. Max, Max, I'm so glad you said that. Check your phone right now. <laughs> I I texted you that exact thing. <laughs> oh god! So, getting back on the rails a little bit, um, we see that Big is there. Charlotte is has a laser laser beam, not a laser beam, a laser beam like pointed at Big with the oh, idea Samantha. of or. Samantha, excuse me. Samantha has a laser beam pointed at Big saying he's the next Donald Trump, except he's more handsome, he's Rough. younger, and he's richer. And it's just like, looking back, in 1998, hell of a line. Yeah. 2023, Jesus Christ, that is a yeah. nightmare of a situation. And then she makes the mention of, like, I could make a man president. And I'm just like, what the fuck is happening in 1998? <laughs> what do you know? No, I have always thought that Donald Trump has had access to time travel. And like that, that is my justification for fucking everything. And he has inserted like small subliminal messages into the public thought and sphere to like get himself into the presidency, like his own fucking last name meeting to beat something. Sweet Lord, I swear. Like that is the only explanation. Oh my God. Well, after we see this Capote Duncan coming to chaos, we see Samantha get uh, shot down in this instance by Big, which was so interesting because 
Samantha has big dick energy as yeah. a woman. She just she rolls out and says, anyone who's in here, I could take. And to see this man who has been, we've been told is the most powerful man in New York for the most part, say, I'm good. Like, peace out. Is such an interesting play. And it, obviously, they had it written out. There's, they believed in what the show was going to become. But I can't help to think, like, in the back of my mind, holy shit, having not watched much of this show, does Samantha get with Big before Carrie gets with Big? Like, I I need to know, because just from the friendship perspective as well, like, we know Kim Cattrall and Sarah Jessica Parker aren't BFFs now. This would be an entirely new spin on that as well. I can't stop thinking about the comically large stogie that Samantha Jones smokes <laughs> at Big's table. It is also the it is symbolism. The lar- it is the largest cigar I've ever seen in the wild. What What does chaos smell like? I feel like chaos does not smell amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, we have we haven't even talked about the idea that everyone in this show smokes some form of tobacco. There is <sighs> there is no person on this show who does not have some form of lung cancer scare within the past 25 years. Like, there's no person here who's like, oh, yeah, they're smoking in restaurants. They're smoking in clubs. They're smoking on the street. Like, there's... I I don't know. We'll talk about if we think the show could be adapted. Um, Jewel just got taken off shelves, so we need to find some form of other thing to put in people's mouths so that they can blow smoke obnoxiously around their (laughs) friends. I do miss the days of like the smoking and non-smoking sections of restaurants because my parents, you know, my dad <laughs> smokes, my, my dad smokes, but you know, if a diner's a little bit too busy, they would always choose the non-smoking section. But if it was a little bit too busy, I would get to find out what's going on over there. And I just want to know. That's I'm- where the deals are happening, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so a few things happen. Between after we see this Capote scene, we see that Miranda and Skippy, what seems like it will not end or what will end in sort of like, you know, unhappy night for Skippy. Skippy sort of non-consensually grabs Miranda uh, to kiss her. And then, you know, this was the 90s and we can talk about how things age, but. Miranda's into it, so I mean, like, way to go, Skippy. Um, And then, even though Charlotte was interested in this Capote Duncan, one of the most eligible but hard-to-get bachelors in New York, Samantha ends up going home with him. And this was a scene that, although it was only a flash of a moment, I think Kim Cattrall did such a good job of illustrating the idea that even though she has this hard exterior of saying, like, hey, I'm not really interested in love. I'm not really interested in love. I'm only interested in sex. There was this small second of time where you saw the disappointment in her face that this man was just using her for sex, that she had to put the shield up and say, oh yeah, I need to be up early. Are you talking about when they're hooking up in Capote's apartment and she kind of like looks out of frame? Like she kind of like looks off over her shoulder? Yeah. I hated that. Like that is so not her. Uh, I just, it's just... 
there's so much, and I feel like it kind of just like pulls the rug. I know that they wanted to have like an intimate moment and like show a, a more soul, but it's, I think they did root out like what's fun about Samantha is that she does fuck like a man and that it does, this wouldn't derail her in this way. And it was just like, it was sad. You're right. It absolutely was an emotional moment, but it wasn't like as a viewer, as a woman, I wanted this person to have the win. I think that they're setting up that everyone's kind of like up in the tree on this pilot and not yeah. where they want to be, but it's fun seeing her have fun. And I think that's what I like about the show. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more that I, I really think that choice that they made for Samantha right there is such a non-character moment. And I'm glad that they really got rid of that in like future episodes because, I mean, the entire point, and this actually did kind of make it feel like when Harry met Sally is that, uh, oh, no, we're going to uh, we're going to subscribe to this mantra of uh, of men or i'm sorry women can fuck like men and without feeling and all they did was have little glances of all the women saying that they could realizing that they can't and i i, I think yeah. that was like too weak of a moment it was very interesting to see this emotional moment at the end with the character you least suspected given that if you know anything about the pop culture of the show it was the worst character they could have chosen to do it with at the same time. Yeah. So we have one more scene. Um, I love the idea of seeing Sarah Jessica Parker or Carrie walk down Man walk through the streets of Manhattan and say another Friday night in Manhattan, prep towards dawn. Uh, when the worst thing that could happen is walking home, and then we have Mr. Big roll up in his private car. And this truly the first time they genuinely talk to each other. And you can't help but think they have amazing chemistry. There's something more than just a single conversation that happens. And as Carrie and Mr. Big agree on the idea of there's no, we're not just having sex to have sex. We're out here to find love. And Rich, you alluded to it earlier. Um, the idea that Mr. Big sort of ends on, do you really believe in love? Absolutely. Right. And it's just this moment that ends the pilot. We get a really wild still still frame like that came out of nowhere. <laughs> but it was a nice way of ending the pilot to the idea of there might be love for Carrie Bradshaw yet. What I love about this, I have to say, is I just love that his driver was like, OK, boss, I'm speeding away right after you say yeah. that. Like, I'm going to make you look like a Without rock star. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they like. I just want to see the moment after and the little more. He was like, "Dude, you made me look so fucking cool right now. Thank you." Like, <laughs> I do not pay boys you enough. Supporting boys. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like how you kind of make the driver out to be like the henchman in like a Dick Tracy cartoon. Like, yeah, whatever you say, boss. We'll drive away and leave the broad. <laughs> You gotta look so smart, boss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that is the end of this pilot. Were there any things that y'all loved that we did not talk about while we were talking about the pilot? Max, anything on your mind? I want to talk about jazz, baby. <laughs> I, I. <I'm... laughs> The oh, sixth character. Talking about jazz. 
How original. I just loved this rhythmic underscoring throughout the entire episode. I loved that it made these scenes feel like vignettes. There was a movement to them. I liked that it was like under almost the entire episode. There was just, I don't know, there's like a flow to the pacing of the episode and the jazz just really worked for me. If you tell me they stopped playing jazz under 85% of this series, beginning in the middle of season one, I'm going to be livid. You've already crushed me at the fourth wall breaks, but for right it's now, it's there till the end. It's there especially till the end. in uh, the scene where she uh, first approaches Kurt in the restaurant, which is like hanging out with Stanford. And it's just like, there's like a pitter patter to the whole thing. And it just, it made it really engaging for me to watch rich what about you any things that you loved about this pot this pilot? I love that, excuse me i love that shaky cam baby give me more i want i want to feel like i'm watching a jason Bourne movie while carrie bradshaw is talking about casual sex <laughs> rosie what about you like re-watching this pilot what were some of the things that stood out to you that you loved about it I don't know if it's like a love but it was like a constant thought in my mind is that like this i think that like the Sex in the City that that goes forward is not dark like this. It doesn't have so much of a focal point on these like businessmen. Like you see like beautiful, bright, colorful cocktail dresses, like floral arrangements, beautiful cafes, etc. This felt like American Psycho does Sex in the City, and the whole time I was like, "Don't go home with him." Like I, <laughs> I literally. It looks like Jason Bateman's apartment, like this the 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 Duncan Capote's pa- place, Patrick and Bateman. everybody like nobody has cell phones. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> it lo- what it did looks I say? Like the guy from, it's like it looks like the guy from Arrested Development's apartment. Why did I say that? <laughs> Why? I, I want that crossover. I want the Sex in the City Arrested Development crossover right now. Netflix, let's do it right now. Girls, he's a magician. <laughs> Dude, I love an ADHD brain moment. That is magical. But no, like, nobody has phones. People would just go home with, like, strangers. I mean, I felt unsafe, like with a cell phone, like going home with randos sometimes, but this is just like your play. I don't know. I was just like terrified for a good majority of this pilot. And I think that like the, the, the coloration of it, uh, everyone wearing dark colors, like it just felt like a dark, <laughs> a dark version of the show. Carrie Bradshaw's apartment looking like a hoarder's apartment. Yeah. Like there's a- yeah. So I will say one of the things I loved about this show is like, if we just consider this as the pilot itself, I love the fourth wall. I love the narration. I, it really reminds me of a noir film of sorts, right? But like, it's not a crime noir. It's not a sci-fi noir. This is a sex noir TV Mm. show uh, where we are focused on the sex lives of people. And I very much could see Carrie Bradshaw in a smoky room with her name, Carrie Bradshaw, sex detective, uh, and people coming in to tell her their stories of their sex lives in New York City. So we talked a little bit about things we loved. What were some wait-a-minute moments for you during this pilot? Rich, go for it. I've got one. Uh, there is a lot of uh, fat phobia in this, in this uh, show, in this pilot. And it's like really upsetting. 
And I don't know. It's just, uh, I mean, I, aside from the fact that Skipper is clearly an incel and it's very much like the nice guy syndrome, uh, but it is, it is so, it is so like weird hearing people talk like they did in 1998 and like, you know, the magazine culture of it all. And I, I just like, it just makes me feel very, very uncomfortable. I, I like, you know, I know we have, I, I feel like a lot of this conversation was like kind of in response to the Monica Lewinsky scandal too. And in hindsight, we treated mm. that woman extremely poorly and, and villi- and vilified uh, this woman who was taken advantage of by an ext- by the most powerful bo- person in the country. Anyways, uh, you know, I, I just like, it's, it's good to see how far we've come. And I guess that, and just like that is supposed to be a commentary on like what it's really like now. And like when people actually have the opportunity to speak to one another through social media, to learn easily through, through one another. And this conversation isn't just done in tight knit friend groups and no information is really passed along except for like Cosmo magazine. Yeah, tonally, it wasn't um, the the kind of like joyful experience of a show that it. I didn't like the cynical tone that this pilot had. It was kind of like, eh, this is how it fucking is, but maybe it could be good. Like uh, it, the the rest of the show <laughs> as they really develop and flesh out the characters and people's like fingerprints get on them a little bit more deeply. It, it was just again, it was weird. I think they didn't even have the very famous and I'm forgetting her name, costume designer, which I feel like is became a celebrity because of the show uh, because that the, the fashion of, of this show wasn't even as prominent as it later like really became. And it could be a budget thing, but uh, it just, it seemed like it was relying on, on, like you said, Rich, like a, like a very insensitive, mean spirited sense of humor. Like everyone was roasting each other. I think even when Carrie set up Skipper with Miranda, she was just like, oh, she'll hate him, but who cares? Like, it, it, they didn't have the care for each other that they end up having, and they're they're very careful with each other as the show progresses. Max, what about you? I'm very aware that when you're telling a story, you're not going to be able to tell every story. Um but it, it is fascinating that New York City is the largest city in America, yet every single person who lives there is between 30 and 40 and white. Uh, <laughs> it, it's just, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. All, all millions of them. <laughs> I, as far as this pilot goes, I would be remiss to say, and I'll, we'll talk about this a little bit later, that... Max, very much on your point, the diversity in this pilot leaves something to be desired. Uh, in what the melting one of the melting pots of the world of New York City, uh, for the most diversity that we get is we get a couple of drag queens uh, and <laughs> we get Stanford, uh, and that's really it. And we get an incel. Um, so, you know, does Mr. Big's Cuban cigar count as a character? (laughs) And you know what? I'll give credit to Samantha. Samantha. She, yeah, the Honduran cigar (laughs) hundred percent counts like hundred percent. 
So with that being said, uh, Daddy of the Week is Mr. Big. Mr. Big, congratulations. Um, I'm very, very excited Rosie, for you. For, uh, for, for backstory, Rosie, uh, Jeff keeps forcing the Daddy of the Week segment on us and, <laughs> and has asked for no input for the rest of the time. <laughs> from, from anybody else? Nobody gets to vote Rosie, on the Daddy? what about you? Do you have a Daddy in this uh, pilot that you'd like to call out? No. Papa hasn't shown up yet for me. He hasn't shown up yet. I watch the later seasons. You might catch some oh, of my guys. Oh. So Rosie, <laughs> I have to ask then if you've said it, who is your daddy of the men in Sex in the City? I have to say Steve. He's so like Ooh. I like I like a guy that can maybe take on like a more domestic role in the relationship and I like that he is comfortable with, you know, the the earnings in that relationship. She uh Miranda's a ambitious uh, work hard, play hard type, and he's happy keeping the bar and watching their baby. I, I don't know. I like that oh, dynamic. No, it's kind of so sexy. much hope that we're eventually going to get a bad. We're eventually going to get a man named Steve and not Capote or Skipper. <laughs> You're going to love Steve. Like I could do a like Steve actually talks like this the whole time. <laughs> oh, sounds- New Yorker. <laughs> yeah. Miranda. He's and like Miranda. Yeah. Me, I, I will say my daddy of the series though is Aiden. Um, I'm a big Aiden guy. We do have an in-flight question this week. Um, so we've been talking about how the fifth character of this show is New York City. And our question came to my DMs asking, what other TV show do you believe needs a city to be its fifth character? Oh, the OC. The OC, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Rosie, stealing Max's answer. He's so you upset. Can, you, can, you can feel Garden Grove in that script. <laughs> Yeah, they didn't say where in Orange County. <laughs> Actually, no, they do. It they very do. Much do. <laughs> Rich, what about you? What uh, what would you say is the fifth character city in a TV show? Oh, that's such a great question. Uh, you know, going off of our recent coverage of the Big Bang Theory, I have to. You can't deny the Pasadena influence in it. <laughs> <laughs> and Max, what about you? Uh, I think just because it's been on at like 9 a.m. on Comedy Central a lot lately, Pawnee and Eagleton are both respective characters in Parks and Rec. You son of a bitch. Uh, That's so good. That's so (laughs) good. And I will go with Las Vegas in the TV show, Las Vegas. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Kermis, you were going to buy. I'm I'm so impressed with your ability to not say Miami and CSI Miami. Nope, nope. We're we're only going <laughs> Vegas. Uh, well, thank you so much for that in-flight question. It is very much appreciated. Let's talk a little bit about the legacy of this show. Six seasons and 94 episodes. There were two different spinoffs of this show. One of them, known as The Carrie Diaries, which was uh, supposed to be the teen-friendly version of this show, uh, following Carrie Bradshaw through high school, Um, It had two seasons on the CW and then, and just like that, which is coming up on its second season, which is set to debut this Sunday. Uh, There have also been two feature films for this show. Um, We don't really talk about the second one. 
and then the third one just got outright canceled. Is, is uh, the second one where they go to like Saudi Arabia or something? Yeah, that is. <laughs> the, yeah. They go to the UAE, baby, and uh, it is it is something. Um, so the show has been syndicated over a number of networks, TBS, WGN, the E Network. It's also been on a number of different con- in a number of different countries: Canada, Australia, Ireland, and the UK. Um, let's talk a little bit about awards: two hundred ten nominations and fifty five wins, including Ooh. four Emmys, eight Golden Globes, a few SAGs, but no Kids' Choice Awards. So we can't give it the <laughs> uh, cradle to grave. Uh, you can find this show currently on Max. But don't worry, Rich, and don't worry, Rosie. We can replace that DVD collection uh, because all of these seasons are on Blu-ray and DVD. With that <laughs> all being said, Rich, it is time for your game of the week. All right. Uh, so those of you who know me know I love the names of below-the-line characters that don't really have any place in the show at all <laughs> once they're once they're on screen <laughs> so i have compiled a list of 12 uh below the line character names i'm gonna pop it in the chat for you all right now but i am gonna read them out loud for because this is a podcast um and i want you guys to tell me <laughs> which which one is one that i made up this is a uh a uh, <laughs> game that uh, is uh, made popular by a friend of the pod, J.W. Crump, and it is Faker's Dozen. And uh, so I'm going to read it off to you right now. Uh, here's the character names. Mr. Marvelous, Bitsy Von Muffling, Mr. Cocky, Goatee Chauvinist, Tom, quote-unquote Big Boned, Wee William, Very Married Man, Bean Sprouty Waiter, Mr. Winkle, Parentheses playing himself, sweet sauce, New York City Mayor Ed Koch, and butterscotch. And I would like to. I would like to hear from from. Uh, I feel like Rosie and Jeff have the best uh, line in on this, seeing as how they've watched the most episodes. But I'm curious of what character do you think I made up for for Sex in the City? I'm process of eliminationing it because I do recognize some of these names. Um, I don't want to spoil any of the gameplay for anyone, but I know one of these characters is a dog um, that, that you've mentioned. Um, I I have to guess. I don't know. It's so hard. I'm going between Mr. Cocky and Butterscotch. Those are my two. And I think I have to do Butterscotch. <laughs> great, great guess. Okay. What you got, guys? <sighs> So I am going to say, I know there's the guy with the weird spunk. I know that is a name. So I, I have to think that sweet sauce might be <laughs> what might be a play on that. So I'm going to oh, say God. sweet sauce is the one out. Oh, oh, you don't mean like he's spunky, do you? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's the guy with the weird spunk. And yes. oh, okay, got it. Okay, all right. Yeah, he's got real charisma. <laughs> okay. Max, go for it. Okay. Um. So sweet sauce and butterscotch just feel redundant to me because butterscotch is a sweet sauce. So I'm going to say that uh, sweet sauce is the rich one. So uh, also, I do want to mention... The guy with the funky spunk is played by Bobby Cavanaugh. Uh, Ka- 
Cannavale. Cannavale. Uh, so like, yeah, Cannavale. So like, there you go. There, the people who have been on the show is wild. Uh, I love Rich, this so please much. inform us who was correct. Uh, the one, the person I made up is New York Mayor Ed. No, I'm kidding. Um, so the person I made up, <laughs> Ed Koch, is actually in the show. Uh, the character I made up is Goatee Chauvinist. All of these other characters are oh. real. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Cocky is real. Sweet sauce is also real. Butterscotch is also real. And also, Mr. Winkle, parentheses, playing himself is also real, as we're all supposed to know That's who Mr. Amazing. Winkle is. Wait, Rosie, which one is the dog? Mr. Winkle's the dog. Okay. Oh, that's so cute. Oh, this show oh, just I takes d- place in the late 90s, though. The fact that a guy tea would have a, a guy would have a goatee and be a chauvinist seems so plausible in 1998. Also, it's very true. He's also probably the uh, uh, bass player in Sugar Ray. Uh, there is a little bit <laughs> of uh, baseball lore uh, while I was researching all of these. Because one of the, I had to narrow this down from a list of about 30. Um, they, they have a lot of very, very funny <laughs> names on this. Um, there is one person named Large Baseball Player. And Large Baseball Player is played by Larry Doby Jr. And if you don't recognize that name, Larry Doby, uh, his dad, is the first uh, black Major League Baseball player in the American League. That's wild. All right. Cool. The more you know. Cool. Well... well Rich, thank you for that game of the week. Um, I have two final questions for everyone on this podcast. One is very simply, would you continue watching this version of the show based off of the pilot? The other, I'm going to change a little bit from my normal one. There is already a version of this show that currently is on the air. But I am going to ask, do you believe that is the right version of the show that should be on the air? Or should HBO Max or HBO, whatever the fuck they're calling it these days, have a different version of the show? And what would your version be? Rosie, as our guest and ladies first, I am going to ask you these two questions. All right. Well, I think I would continue watching the show as a new to New York person because it's exciting to me to have it, especially if I'm here, like we're playing like this is current, this is on the air. If I saw this pilot, I'd be like, oh, well, I'm new in town. And this seems to be covering like where to go, what to do, what women are currently wearing, what, how people are acting. Like I would absolutely see it as like some kind of roadmap. And I'm sure a lot of people did see it that way at the time. Uh, it, it's not my favorite. This pop, this pilot is not my favorite iteration of this show. And I think your second question is really interesting to me because I feel like, and just like that, is, is that what you were referring to? Like the yes, current iteration? That show feels like so not... It also feels like its own entity that doesn't feel related to what I consider the true meat of Sex in the City. It's... I... I would love to have an alternate universe. Like, just give me the Samantha. Like, I would just give me that show by herself in the UK or wherever she is. But I I like season three through seven of this show. I don't care about the movies. That's the happy place that I want to live in when it comes to sex in the city. Uh, and maybe I we'd update it and add some more just like diversity and less backward thoughts like you haven't even gotten into like the perspectives on sexuality in the show uh 
it's this is a wild ride of a show to get on board to if you're not familiar rich what about you so i know we talked a lot about like the specific styling between the pilot that we watched and what the show became almost immediately after this because you know we do see that every now and then like character characters get dropped off characters have an entirely different direction uh smithers is yellow now um and there is a <laughs> there is a um real just drop off in like I, I like now knowing that what people love about the show is their bond together and knowing that this bond is like not formed at all and it's like really testy and stuff like that between the four main characters it like just doesn't feel like something I would want to continue watching in that sense, but I do want to watch it for the realness of all these characters. Like I'm, I don't, I've lived in New York. Like I don't want to see people just existing in a circle, in a circle of wealth and insane connections. And like, I don't want to watch something that's like aspirational for something that is attainable by almost nobody. And that is like, you know, it, it's another aspect of the diversity. How many, how many people of color did we see in Club Chaos? So, I mean, that is like not necessarily the New York I want to continue watching. And, uh, you know, for where this goes. And, you know, I've heard also about some complaints from like the LGBTQ community about the inclusion and uh, and queer representation and non-binary representation in um I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. What's the new show called? And just, and like, just that. like and that. just like that. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, I've heard some issues in that sense too, and I'm wondering if they kept a lot of old writers who are just kind of like still trying to maybe try to make a lot of money and and you know get on the bandwagon of this new thing and have you know all of a sudden now the characters are dealing with the internet being in our lives constantly. So understanding that they keep trying to do this over and over and over and over and over again i'm gonna say stop it <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> do it for like with a purpose uh and uh you know really understand that like what you're doing is you're taking a beloved character and you're putting it in dubai for no reason and you're testing everyone's allegiance to the uh to the show as a whole and yeah so i, I for that reason sharks i'm out Max, what about you? I, I'm i not going to get 25 years of history into this. I'm not going to talk about cash grab, spinoffs, and sequel films. But when I watched this episode, my first experience with Sex and the City as a whole, I wanted to hit next episode so badly as soon as this one ended. And I had to restrain myself because I wanted to come in just knowing the pilot when I did this podcast, which apparently has now been an hour of everyone saying, none of this ever happens again. All of that stuff you <laughs> loved, you're never going to see again. Um, that that being said, it's just, it's really fun to take this trip down memory lane and see this style of comedy that I don't think is really around as much anymore. I really enjoyed watching this pilot, you know, despite the faults we mentioned, I really intrigued to watch this show kind of blindly as a first time viewer. I do think that I'm personally going to 
actually continue watching this. Uh, so it, it got me on board for sure. It was effective. I've never seen and just like that. I've never seen the movies. I have no frame of reference for uh, a spinoff, a recreation. So to your second question, Jeff, what I think they should do is a Vanderpump style rule show set in the world of Club Chaos. <laughs> <laughs> That is that and is, and I will know. be tuning in to. I will be tuning in to chaos every night on Bravo. <laughs> Carrie, you're an Carrie. You're an A girl. Samantha's a B girl. That is only for my Vanderpump people. All right, so oh no, I picked another show I haven't watched. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> um, so what I will say is, I watched this pilot with my wife, as I do with most of these pilots. People are getting bored of hearing me say that. Um, my wife, he do be doing that <laughs> is a gigantic fan of sex in the city. And I decided, and everyone on this podcast is hearing this for the first time that I wasn't going to tell my wife what my thoughts were on the pilot Ooh. in my hands. I have my decision. I will be watching the entirety of this pilot <laughs> on DVD because fuck HBO Max. Yeah. This is every single episode of Sex in the City. And I'm going to watch it. And I'm going to devour it. And I'm going to enjoy it. When they stop doing the talking heads, I'm going to be like, that was a fun time. But let's now just get into the real meat. Uh, with that being said, as far as talking about just and just like that. And does that have a place in the world? I think that what has happened, having seen a couple episodes of it, uh, there is the realization that there are stories that are greater than what were talked about during Sex in the City. And they looked at the toys they had in the room, and it's a bunch of women who are about to turn or are currently 60 years old. Um, and those are not the right people to tell some of these stories. Uh, <laughs> with that being said, if someone was to tell me today, hey, we're doing a new version of Sex in the City, but we're going to add some diversity. We're going to add it's not just about cisgendered women, uh, but it's about all of the stories of finding love and true sex lives in New York city. I think there's a lot of people who would love to see that rather than season 27 of rich white people go to exotic resorts, uh, in unnamed location. That's a four seasons hotel. Jeff, can I just say well. how much I appreciated yeah, you I think talking we all got like a real New Yorker who like, we used to go to concerts at CBGB when you were like, yeah, when they stopped doing the talking heads, I kept going. <laughs> I, I I do want to say, too, and and, and just like, I, I guess because I, I, I shat on um, and just like that a little bit too much, uh, there is a, an extremely valid case to be made that, and we're seeing this increasingly more in media of stories of women over the age of 50 being present and not just like a matronly figure or someone who's like super wise or hundred percent. Yeah. And I love that so much. And I, I think uh, this show being in uh, 
trying to give people of that age or higher like an identity that's more than just being elderly or retired or uh or anything like that it just gives them a little bit more license to be like a person and i think that's that is Mm. super important and i should preface that as well there there definitely needs to be space for both of these things there are both good things but i think one of these things is trying to be both of them and we do not need that currently. We need I, room for both stories. I, I think what's worth noting in this discussion, though, is that, and just like that, was created specifically for Max. It was a reboot slash spinoff slash requel that was made to specifically promote a separate streamer. Like, it, it is, you know, I, I haven't seen it, but, like, everything we're kind of touching around just feels like it's maybe a little bit out of touch. Maybe does some things right and some things wrong. I I hope that we find a version of this New York centric story that eventually does find that inclusion in that sense. I'm sure there are a lot of versions saved onto people's final drafts right now that you know, hopefully see the light of day soon. Uh, Rosie, I promise when we bring you back for the third time of this podcast, uh, <laughs> it, it will be for, for a show that that does all of that and not just, you know, girls and sex in the city for as delightful and, and fun and pro those shows as I am as well. Max, you can't fucking make me go to Dubai as hard as you're going to try. I'm not fucking <laughs> going to Dubai. <laughs> well, come on. <laughs> it'll be fun. Um, so well, with that, all being said, our plane is coming to a land, and I would love to be able to know where I can find you, but also where the folks who are listening to this podcast or watching us on YouTube can find you. Rosie, first of all, thank you so much for joining us again, being our New York cor- correspondent. Where can the folks find you? Thank you. I am existing on most social platforms at at. R-O-S-E-Y-B-E-E-M-E, Rosie B. Me. Uh, I just had a tremendously fun month of creating 90-second sketches in preparation oh for uh, so seeing Taylor Swift live. And They're so good. Uh, if you jump in to me, I'm, thank you very much. I'm normally like kind of a, just like a fashion lifestyle girl, but I was becoming very creatively uh, stagnant and I wanted to give myself a challenge and making myself put up a 90 second sketch every single day, like rain or shine and get it out there, like was so rewarding. And I think that if you come across me, that's the me you'll see. And I'm really proud of that person. So I'm glad that you're going to come to me in that form. (laughs) Rich, where can we find you? Uh, I also just want to second that you should go follow Rosie on everything uh, because that Taylor Swift video series was absolutely hysterical. And my own, my friends that I didn't even know followed you were sending me your videos, like uh, un, un, like unaware <laughs> that like you're part of our agency, which is so it, like so incredibly fun. Uh, but you can also find me at the Real Club Chaos, which is Dave and Buster's smoking a big old cigar before I get kicked out. <laughs> You can also find me on Instagram. (laughs) You can also find me on Instagram at Damn That's Rich. Max, what about you? Uh, You could find me outside of actual club chaos. Please, does somebody know anyone who could get me in? Uh, You can also find me on all things social media at Maxwell Singh. And you can find me trying to figure out 
where I can get a birthday cake delivered to me by drag queens while also <laughs> eating my favorite Chinese food. You can find me on social media at Run Jeff Run on Instagram and Twitter. You can find the TV Pilots License on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram at TV Pilots License, as well as anywhere that you listen to podcasts. If you have a question for the show or about our next episode, we are partying down with party down for our next episode, and I cannot wait. Uh, so if you have a question, make sure to shoot us a DM or shoot us a voicemail at 213-290-1713. Make sure to watch out our for our Instagram for reels, clips, as well as sneak previews for the upcoming shows. With the plane landed and the seatbelt sign off, we look forward to flying the bright skies of the TV world with you again soon. And until then, absolutely. <laughs> and just like that, the podcast is over. <laughs>